to week one of Happy Strife, Happy Life. Blessed are the delivery drivers and the postal workers, for they are the bringers of essential things. Blessed are the hospital workers, the ambulance crews, the doctors, the nurses, the care assistants and the cleaners, for they stand between us and the grave, and the kingdom of heaven is surely theirs. Blessed are the checkout workers, for they have patience and fortitude in the face of overwork and frustration. Blessed are the teachers, for they remain steadfast and constant in disturbing times. Blessed are the single parents, for they are coping alone with their responsibilities and there is no respite. Blessed are those who are alone for they are children of God, and with him they will never be lonely. Blessed are the bereaved, for whom the worst has already happened. They shall be comforted. Blessed are all during this time who have pure hearts. All who still hunger and thirst for justice. All who work for peace and who model mercy. May you know comfort. May you know calm, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Picking me up. Oh, there we are. What a time to be alive, right? Such a fun week. That's a joke and not a joke. It's a pretty serious week. And yeah, 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 I sincerely mean this that it is a wonderful, wonderful time to live in this world and participate in it. And um, I mean, beats the alternative, right? Like, what's the other option? Not being alive, right? If I joke about that, candidly, there are some of you who go, I'm not so sure I feel that way. I'm not so sure I'm really in the camp of what a good time to be alive and it beats the alternative and I just would tell you that today is a really good day for you to participate with us we're going to see what God could be up to in the middle of strife of conflict confusion and I just would offer this to you if you're in this room out in the parking lot joining us online right now um God tells us something really specific when he ushered in creation. He kept declaring it was good, 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 and there was a good creation. Now, we've messed it up. We all would agree with that. And then he creates humankind. He creates Adam. And for the first time, he says something negative, and he says, oh, it's not good for man to be alone, right? Humankind to be alone. And so then he creates Eve, and then he declares kind of at the pinnacle, the apex of his creation, and it was very, very good. So I just would offer to you. If you're in the camp of, I'm not so sure it's a great time to be alive, I'm not so sure I'm really finding joy or peace or hope in this life, um, while well, I, I certainly hope the scriptures today will really help you that, literally, the scripture says it's through the foolishness of preaching that people are saved, so there's something transcendental that can happen in this moment. What God does tell us very clearly is that it's not good for us to be alone. And so I just would offer to you, implore with you here, wherever you are, that would you just make yourself known like if that is a call or a text, you can just text our phone number right now if you want to follow up with you, 610-869-2140. You can call, someone will probably answer. If not, you can leave a voicemail, we'll follow back up with you. If you just need to chat with someone and email is your best option, you can email info at clcfamily.church, or if it's easier, just email me, josh at clcfamily.church, or you can go online and click the contact us. We Just would you make yourself known and let us walk through this together with you, like, oh, this stuff is a mess, and I do believe it's a great time to be alive, but... It, you're allowed to have the feelings you have, and you're allowed to have the experience you have, and you should offer us not do this alone. By the way, let me just remind you of that. Uh, no judgment on whatever your feelings are this week, right? You are allowed to have the feelings you have. I think there's some hope that we'll give you today. You know, 
while you're allowed to have the feelings you have, you're not allowed to tell someone else what feelings they're supposed to have. Okay, so let's just be gracious in that. As I told you a couple of weeks back, let's be really, really, really liberal. Intentional word there with our um, grace and mercy. Let's be really, really conservative with our judgment. Let's care for people in the middle of just a lot of pain and really, really excited that God would have us in this sermon series. The way that kind of works is, I mean, we're just working through the scriptures and typically about six, eight weeks before the next kind of campaign or series that we talk about, try to kind of compile the notes and uh, put them all together, get them to, you know, Megan and our staff so that we can start working on the graphics design and start working on songs to kind of go with it. And um, initially, I thought that we were going to open up with this series last week and then thought, oh, I need to probably take some time away. We thought we were going to Georgia. Decided not to stay, uh, not go to Georgia, but still felt like it was appropriate just to wait till this week to start this series. And really, really glad that this is the week in light of uh, our nation and our world and the mess that it's in. And um, so here's kind of the big idea is that right now, in the middle of chaos and confusion and conflict, both nationally, maybe globally, or also with our family and our own lives, this is a really, really great place to find happiness. And I'm using that word intentionally, not blessedness or joy. You see those show up in Scripture in some ways, though, and as we started translating those Scriptures, we kind of hijacked the word happy. It just means the same thing. Happy and blessed in the Scriptures are the same. You've learned that happiness is based on your, you know, circumstances where blessedness or joy is not based on your circumstances. The reality in the scriptures, happiness and joy, they kind of go hand in hand. And so there is happiness to be found right now in the middle of this time, in the middle of this chaos and conflict. And, 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 what you're going to see in the scriptures, not hopefully you get this today, it's actually in these times, the most uncertain times, the most conflicted times, the most painful and confusing times. It's actually where the opportunity to really have a blessed and happy life shows up. So we're going to do it a little different than we usually do. I usually read the script, uh, read one verse at a time and kind of talk about it. What I'm going to do now is I'm actually going to read them all. We're just going to cover every verse we're going to cover today, and then we'll kind of go back through it slowly. And I'm going to give you kind of a behind-the-scenes peek of how all sermons are prepared here so you can kind of have a big understanding of why we do what we do and how we do what we do. But So I'm just going to read it for you at first, Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 17. It's going to read through the whole thing. You know, One reminder on this, we call it a series because it just means we're not going to get through the whole thing in one day. It's just not going to get through the whole thing in one day. It's possible to get through the whole thing in one day. It's going to take us four or five weeks. We're going to get a good, a good foundation today, but I would implore you, challenge you to keep coming back each week or show back up later and also participate on Tuesdays or later in the week with the, the Overtime podcast where we actually go a little bit more in detail. All really important in this Happy Strife, Happy Life series, but let's start with the actual material. Here's what it says, Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 17. And he, that's Jesus, came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all of Judea, Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre, or Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are those who are poor, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and they exclude you and revel you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. So here's what the passages say. If you're poor, you'll be blessed. If you're hungry, you'll be blessed. If you're uh, made fun of, if your name is taken shot, that if you're slandered, you'll be blessed. But if you have lots of money, uh-oh, you're going to have some woes and condemnation in your life. If you're happy now, uh-uh, take that happy people. You're no longer going to be happy, right? If, if people are talking well about you now, that is really bad news because one day they won't, right? That's what it's saying. You go, what do you do with this? 
right? First glance, you could go, this is the opposite of the prosperity gospel, which is, you know, uh, if you claim it, God will do it. If you, you know, sow it, God, you'll get to reap it, and you claim good stuff. It just happens. This idea that God wants us all to be wealthy and filled with really nice things, and one of the great lies of the modern Western church is if you pray the prayer, ask the thing, you get puppies and rainbows. You don't get kittens, obviously, because no one wants those things. Right, you get puppies and rainbows, and everything is just great, which is the wrong gospel. But what happens is there's this overcorrection, and this is one of the passages that overcorrects to what ends up becoming called the poverty gospel. Right? Like, God doesn't want you to have anything good. God wants you to always be hungry. God wants you to be poor and broken and sad. See, see, because if you're broken and poor and sad, then one day it'll all be good. So have a miserable life and wretched life now, but one day you'll have a good one. Right? I, I, when I became a, like, a devoted follower of Christ, I prayed the prayer, you know, asked God in my heart, and as a second grader, walked down the aisle in a Baptist church because the pastor preached on hell, and I didn't want to go there, right? Fire insurance. Then in seventh grade, I went to this uh, church camp, and my dad actually was the one who was doing all the teaching on dare to be a Daniel, right? This boldness and this move, and in seventh grade, I decided I would give God my life, right? And so I started really following him. That's where I wanted to not just get, give him my future, but also the present. And so, you know, I got real serious faith. I mean, almost in a self-righteous sense. I carried the Bible in my back pocket. I corrected anyone who used a bad word, all those kind of things. And I was really good at the correction and kind of being the guy. To the point where I get to high school, I wouldn't get invited to any parties because they were afraid that I would tell on them, seriously. Or I would, literally, if I'd walk into someplace, they'd hide their beer cans because that's how self-righteous I was and had this belief that you're supposed to like do all the right things behave all the right ways always you know perform correctly and I, one of my favorite t-shirts there was one that was like the Reese's peanut butter but it says Jesus the king of the world or something I don't know it's orange and I used to wear it a lot but there was this other one I got at a flea market in in Jacksonville Florida and in this little bit of, like if you ever been to flea markets in the middle they sell these t-shirts and so weird. they had like the marijuana leaves and then the Jesus ones right next to each other so funny you've seen that in like at the gas stations where you got you know like ridiculous big you know velvet rugs and then you got Jesus and it's all of his glory right next to it and, and so I got this uh, t-shirt it said something like this and I talk about a good bit is follow Jesus you know <laughs> the life is not fun or ha- it's hard and terrible and the wages are low or something like that but it's okay because the retirement benefits are out of this world this kind of this idea that okay you're supposed to be miserable now work really hard sacrifice all the time and one day way out in the future you get beamed up to some magical mystical place and at that point all the pain and sorrow that you went through makes it worth it and frankly this is one of those passages that people hold kind of tight and go see this is why you have to do this this is this is why you have to be miserable and poor and wretched and i'll just say there is nothing nothing desirable about living a miserable poor wretched life no one in this world is going to go, you know, I want to be a Christian so I can be miserable, poor, wretched, and judgy, right? I mean, that is, frankly, um, particularly uh, if, if you are not a Christian, you can chime in on this, and you would agree with this in some ways. And, uh, but kind of the, the, the view of the church is the church is known for what it's against, right? What is known, known for what it's against, particularly as it relates to sexuality and politics. It's just known for what it's against, right? So... There's just this lack of desire and interest in being with a group. People are always against stuff, right? And I would argue, and I'd argue this is going to be a really helpful passage for this, that the church should not be known for what it's against, but it should be known for what it's for, right? It should be known for what it's for. And so when you first glance at this, you go, well, is it for being poor? Is it for being in mourning all the time? Is that what this is saying? And nope, it's not at all. And uh, so let me just kind of share with you how uh, we go about scriptures here. And so one thing that's really important to me, I think I, I, I can say this on behalf of our church and elders, is that we don't want some personality to lead us and just get up here and share their opinions, right? We would argue, I would argue, that I am not your senior pastor. Jesus is the senior pastor. We just get stewarded this church to care for it for such a time as right this. And the, the, the Bible tells us that his word, Jesus' words, is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. So each and every week we go, we don't, we don't want our opinions, because boy, could they be wrong. To, to be what's presented here. We actually want the scriptures, and so what happens is we want scriptures to kind of guide us. That's typically why we teach through a book of the Bible or a passage of scripture, and so if you're brand new with us, we've been in this gospel called the Gospel of Luke for almost half a year. In fact, half a year now, where we've just started working through this gospel. The gospel is just another word for biography. It says good news, but what I mean by that, by that you've got four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're all just biographical sketches about Jesus. So this uh, really smart, really bright, really educated uh, doctor decides, hired by this really wealthy 
affluential, influential uh, government leader, we believe, Theophilus. He's this doctor named Luke's hired by Theophilus to go and research and determine whether or not we should believe in Jesus. And in his words, that we could have certainty of the things you've been taught about you by Jesus. So he's going to go and interview all sorts of people. And so uh, we've just kind of been working through that, going, okay, God, scriptures be known. So we started in Luke chapter 1, and we've just kind of been walking through this. This whole series is just a follow-up to that. And so what, where we find ourselves now in Luke chapter 6 is called the Beatitudes, right? There's this, this idea of what does it look like? How do you find happiness? Which all of you are interested in. Our nation, not too you know, far from right here, kind of the declaration that we kind of start that all of us should get to pursue happiness, right? The pursuit of happiness. So, so we're going to look at the scriptures and go, what does it mean to pursue happiness? Instead of me telling you the six, seven steps you can do to find happiness, we're going to go, let's just see what the scriptures say. So we open the scriptures and go, what do the scriptures say? So we just read them. It gets really confusing. And then after I read the scriptures that we kind of work through, here's always the next thing that I do, okay? This isn't my fault. This is Andy Stanley wrote a book more than a decade ago called Communicating for Change. And he gave me these four questions. Then every single week, I read the scriptures, and this is the first thing I do. I take the scriptures, usually in front of me on a computer or, you know, in a notepad or a Bible, and I ask this question, okay? What? And I go, God, what do you want to say, right? What do you want to say? What do you want to say? So in light of the scriptures, what is it you want to say? Okay, we're in this really weird passage in, in you know, Luke chapter 6 where he's telling us poor people are happy and happy people are poor and de- or happy poor people will eventually be unhappy. If you're rich, you're going to have a miserable life at some point. All those things you go, well, what is it you're actually trying to say? So God, what is it you want to say? And so here, let me tell you what I think in line of these scriptures that God wants to say. Ready? It's really, really simple. To get there, where God wants you to be, right? To get there, I mean, this is so intuitive and simple when I say it, you're going to go, well, that's a waste of my time here, right? But here it is. What I think God wants to say today is to get there, there, really simple, right? You have to leave here. I mean, that, that's intuitive, right? I mean, if you want to go to the mall, yeah, which I don't know why you'd want to, but if you decide you want to do that, right? Then in order to go to the mall, you can't sit in your house. I mean, you kind of can, you know, if you Google, but if you actually want to go and take your physical presence there, and to get there, you have to actually leave here. I mean, it's so simple, right? To get there, you got to leave here. And so what I think God wants to say is there's a place that he wants you to go. That's there, but you got to leave here. But let me tell you a little bit more about what I think God wants you to say. Here's what I think he's saying, okay? Big idea for today, for the series. Definitely think it's going to be helpful for you, okay? If you're a Christian, really, really helpful. If you're not, boy, is this going to give you some good understanding of what it is you're longing for and how to get to where you're longing to get there, right? Ready? In order to get in order for you to go where you want to go got it in order for you to get where you want to go or go where you want to go got it? in order to go where you want to go to get to where you want to go you have to leave where you want to stay it's at war for us it's not bad guys versus good guys yes there's evil and good but for us individually what's really at war is to get there you got to leave here and the problem is we really don't want to leave here Right? In order to get where we, over there, where we want to go, in order to get where we want to go, we have to leave where we want to stay, and we're going to see how strife helps us do that. So to leave here, to, and to get there, you've got to leave here in order to get what you want, where you want to go. You've got to leave where you want to stay. So I go, okay, God, what is it you want to say? That's what I think he wants to say to you. He has a place he wants you to go. But in order for you to get where you want to go, you've got to leave where you want to stay. So that's what I think is what God wants to say. And then, then, then after that question, I always ask this question, God, why do you want to say that? Like, why? Okay, I get it. I get it. This is probably what you want to say, but why is it that you want to say that? Why is it what you want to say? And I'll just tell you, the reason I believe that is every, every massive, pivotal moment in my life, every single one of them, there's a wrestle between here and there. Every significant thing. I'm talking about three kids. I'm talking about adopting a child. I'm talking about finding my wife and marrying Julie. I'm talking about being an occupational pastor. I'm talking about being at this church right now, right? Every single one of those moments were a conflict between where I wanted to stay and where I thought God wanted me to go. Every single one of them. And by the way, in the scriptures, this is pretty evident. When God talks about himself, Jesus refers to himself as the shepherd. Now, do you know what a, sheep, a shepherd does? The job is, I mean, it's gross and grotesque. You can Google how they, you know, castrate sheep. I mean, it is disgusting, right? But the, the premise of shepherd is just this. They lead sheep from where they are 
to where they're supposed to be. Whole goal of a shepherd. It's a little different 2,000 years ago. And still places when there, there's not boundaries like fences. Shepherds are going, we got to find sustenance. we got to find water and food. How do we take all these sheep from where they currently are to where they need to be so they can find life and sustenance, right? So that's the whole idea. So it makes sense that God would want us to know in order to get from there, we have to leave here. But the problem is we don't want to go there because we want to stay here, right? And so I'd say that's what I think God wants to tell you today is... Uh, in order to go where you want to go, you've got to leave where you're going to stay. And every big moment is always about surrender and handing your hands over to God. In fact, the reason I am literally an occupational pastor, go back to you now 22 years ago when I was 17 years old. I was sitting at a church camp in Panama City Beach, Florida, and Andy Stanley said this, if you could see what God sees, you do as God says. And at the end of the sermon, he had us all hold our hands tight, hold it tight and go, what is it God's calling you to give up? What is it he's calling you to let go of so you can actually be free to do whatever God's called you to do? And not audibly, but intuitively in my gut, what I heard God say in that moment is, Josh, I want your future. But I did not want to let that go, right? I wanted to be in control of my future. And boy, if I wrestle with God on that the rest of my life, but right? That's such a pivotal thing. In order to get where you want to go, you've got to leave where you want to stay. That's what I think God wants for you wants to say to you and on the other side is some really really good stuff so stay with me there now after i do that i go okay why do you want to say why do you want to say it? and then i just ask this, this question now what do you want people to do god what does you actually want them to do right so in in the sermon on the mount what we're going to look at today is the sermon on the plains we don't think this is the same passage it could be the same passage, but this is kind of like jesus's greatest hits he's covered this a lot of times and we're going to catch it a couple of times in the scriptures but at the he says, whoever is a wise man who hears these words and put them, puts them into practice, there's something about hearing this and actually doing this. So every sermon I go, okay, God, what is it you want to say? And it's really, really simple. Really, really simple. What I think God wants you to say is, he wants you to leave here and go there. Got it? That's it. That's as simple as it. Leave here, go there. Leave here, go there. You got it? That's all it is. That's what I think he wants to say. And you go, why does he want to say that, right? So what do you want to say? Why do you want to say it? What do you want people to do? And why do you want people to do that? And here's the simple answer. So I think God is really simple. Because there is greater than here. Now, typically that, that takes a big argument, right? You really got to kind of weigh the pros and cons. But here's the beauty about the brokenness in the world. What a great time to be alive. As for many of us right now, it's sitting like this big aha. You go, yep, yep, there sure, sure seems better than here. Right? The reason God wants you to leave here, go there, where you want to stay versus where you want to go, that tension is because there, really, really simple, is greater in here. And you go, okay, well, that kind of makes sense. But where is there? Good question, right? Where is there? And so what we're going to see in these scriptures today and all the time, there is a very specific there, and it's called the kingdom of heaven. Now, 32 or so times, 30 plus times in the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the kingdom of heaven is talked about. Kingdom of heaven. Now, at least 60 times, and I'm going to get these backwards, sorry. 30 plus times, kingdom of God is talking about. 60 plus times, the kingdom of heaven is talked about, right? So, uh, no, I'm sorry, 32, kingdom of heaven, 62, kingdom of God. So there's two different things that Jesus talks about, kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God. And there's lots of argument about this. But the best we can tell, they're just the same thing. In fact, you can look at Matthew chapter 9 where Jesus talks to the rich young ruler and he actually interchanges the kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God. So basically what he's saying is there is this kingdom that's not like your kingdom. Your kingdom's here. The kingdom of Josh. The kingdom of, you know, the United States. The kingdom of your family. The kingdom of the evil one. It's all here. And the kingdom of God exists over there. In order to get where you want to go, you've got to leave where you want to stay. And so here it is. The kingdom of heaven is what he's talking about. And what are you going to see today? We're going to learn is the kingdom of heaven is not that place you get beamed up to. The idea that the retirement plan is out of this world is maybe true. But so are the daily wages of participating in God's kingdom. What's available to you in the here and now is God's kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of God is available to you now. It's really, really strange for us to understand that. But in light of the scriptures, and for the folks in the first century, they would have understood this because these people were starting to follow Jesus, hated their earthly kingdom. They had tyrants for kings who abused them, who destroyed them, who slandered them, who took advantage of them. And for many of them, no longer were they interested in staying where they were. They wanted to go where God wanted them to go as a result of the pain. That. So that's always what happens. Okay, what do you, God, what do you want to do? Uh, what do you want to say? Why do you want to say it? Then what do you want people to do? Why do you want to do it? And then, then now I get to the pieces that we kind of build together each and every week. And it kind of goes like this. 
strange, my words, they probably won't make a lot of sense to you. But I figure since they're covering it, I'll just cover the whole thing. The first thing we talk, uh, work through is attention, right? And all that just means, why does this matter to you guys? Like, why in right now should this matter? Like, why would you want to listen to this? Like, why, if you're going to give up 45 minutes, an hour of listening to a sermon, why would you want to listen to this? And I know because it's actually really helpful and practical to where you are. So I'm going to spend some time trying to explain why this matters in the here and now. I'm going to create a problem, essentially. We're going to feel tension. The, the problem we have is there's something broken in our world. And you don't have to be a Christian to understand that, right? But I'm not going to leave you in this brokenness, woe is us, it's never going to get any better. And then the second piece, always in the scripture, always in the, in the talk, is always going to be what's called the resolve. This is the answer to the problem. And every single week, we're going to open up the scriptures and go, here's the answer. In fact, many of you are like, why does it take so long to get into the passage? Because, because, because I want to make sure we understand the problem. And then we're going to go to the scriptures and go, here's actually the answer to our problem. Now, so tension is, here's the problem. Resolve is, here's the answer to the problem. And then finally, vision. Every single week, and this is what that is. Here's what your life would look like if you follow the answers to the problem. Here's what your family would look like. Here's what our church would look like if we just, if we just do what God says, right? If we could see as God say, sees, we do as he says. And so here's what our life, here's what our family, here's what our church, here's what our community, here's what our nation, here's what our world would look like in light of that. So every single week, that's how I go through the material. So today, you got this weird passage. Let's work through it. Oh, goodness, God, what does it want to say? You got to leave here to get there. The promise, in order to get where you want to go, you got to leave where you want to stay. Okay, well, why does that matter? And the reality is, at this point in our life, all of us are suspicious that there's got to be a better way. Right? There's got to be a better life than what we're seeing. There's got to be a better solution to what we experience on Wednesday. Right? And again, you're allowed to have the feelings you have. You might think this is the worst thing that's ever happened. You might compare it to 9-11 or, or Pearl Harbor or whatever really significant moment. Others are like, ah, it's just another day, another revolt. Don't know where you are. Again, you're allowed to have the feelings you have. Not allowed to tell other people what feelings they should have. What we would acknowledge is there's a brokenness and a problem in our world. And so one of the things that happens when there's a brokenness and a problem in our world, all of a sudden our antenna goes up and we go, maybe, maybe where we put our hope, maybe where we thought was going to be the place we wanted to stay, we no longer want to stay there, which means it's easier to go where God wants us to go. So let's figure out what the answer is to get from here to there. You know, what Jesus is about to do, really, really important, is Jesus has um, been doing ministry, we don't know how long, less than a year probably, maybe a year uh, six months, and so Jesus ha hasn't, Luke hasn't decided to give us much of his teaching. He's taught in synagogues a couple of times, but we have, actually haven't seen any of his passages. The only thing we've gotten so far here is some, some quick, like, little tweetable statements, and he stood up in a synagogue and read uh, from the book of Isaiah, where he said that he came to set the captives free, you know, give sight to the blind, you know, serve the poor, you know, free the poor, all the desolate. So we see this passage of confirmation of what Jesus' mission statement is. But this is the first time he's actually going to sit down for a second in the scriptures. It's probably it's happened before because Lucas said that he's been teaching. This is the first time that Luke decides it's important for us to know what Jesus' sermon is about. So Jesus sits down. And what he's going to do is he's going he's to tell you who, the, who gets the superlatives. I don't know if uh, you did the superlative thing and how want to vote for your friends, whatever it is, most likely to succeed. And what Jesus is doing here is in this first message that we get, he's going, you want to know who's most likely to succeed? I'm going to tell you today who's going to succeed. And the way he's going to do, is, do this is he's actually going to separate people into two different camps, right? Two different camps. And you're going to see these two camps are one, blessings. He's going to say, a lot of people are going to get this. This is where happiness is found. This is where joy is found. This is where contentment is found. And there is a group of people you know, most likely to succeed in finding these blessings. Then he's going to give another category. The woes. He's going, a lot of people receive a lot of gifts they don't deserve. But a lot of other people are going to receive what they deserve. And he's going to call those woes. That literally just means condemnation. Pain and sorrow. So Jesus is going to invite people in. They're starting to listen. And he's going to go, let me tell you who gets the blessings. Let me tell you who gets the woes. Now, why this is important is because most of the people following Jesus right now hated their current life and their current situation. The reason they were willing to follow this homeless stranger is because every other thing they put their hope in has failed them. They were out of options. They were desolate. And so Jesus seems to be the, the last option for them, right? So a lot of people are hoping that maybe Jesus can fix things. Now, m most, if not all of them, were, weren't looking for what Jesus had to offer. They're looking for the overthrowing of the political king, the kingdom. They're just looking for a better nation. They're looking for less taxes. 
they were looking for the person who could give them the Supreme Court, you know, figuratively. They didn't have a Supreme Court, as opposed to where it currently is, right? So these are people who looked at the political climate, looked at their bank accounts, and were pretty worried about the future. Sound familiar? Right? These are people who go, if that person stays one more day, our world's wrecked. Or, if that person goes today, our world is wrecked. Right? Like, hyperbolically. Here's these things. And so these guys are going, well, maybe, maybe Jesus is the one. So Jesus is finally going to tell them what it looks like to live in his kingdom. Not the kingdom of this earth, but his kingdom. This is what his regime looks like. So in that in mind, let's see what happens. Luke chapter 6, verse 17 again, it says this. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all of Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. So these people are going, we have problems in the here and now. Like, we cannot meet our own needs now, and we are broken. So what Jesus is going to do is he's going to provide miracles and miraculous moments for them in this moment. You got it? And so he's doing this in this moment. And I just want to just point this out. Whenever you see Jesus do a miracle, the, first, like, the primary reason isn't so that like, he could show off right? Like he's not doing this dog and pony show. What you see in every single miracle is Jesus is actually giving us a glimpse of the way that things should be and will be one day. There will be a time where there's no pain, no sorrow, no suffering, no tears. There'll be a time where every single man, woman, and child that follows him lives in the fullness. Their body will feel good. They'll be able to see well. They'll be able to walk in full joy and contentment. So every time you see miracles in the scriptures, what Jesus is doing is he's not like, he's not like, you know, interrupting the natural world. He's actually bringing the world back naturally to the way he designed it. Got it? So Jesus is doing all these things, and people are going, ah, oh, this guy, he has more power than the, the Caesars, right? He has more power than the Herods. And so they're intrigued by it, so they're coming, starting to follow him. And then Jesus is going to give this crazy talk. This is very important talk. This is in his greatest hits. If you were to buy his CD at the merch table, this would be there. And he says this, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now stay with me. It's going to take me a while to get you to, get to understand exactly what's going on here. But what he is saying in this moment, he's looking at these people, and he's telling them that if they're poor, if they're out of options, which is, that word poor means desolate. desolate. Literally, it means there are no other ways or no other options for them. Right? And he says, blessed are you who have run out of options. Blessed of you who cannot control and lead your own thing anymore. What he's hitting at here, really, really important, is Jesus is looking at these people, and he is, he is calling out the religion of the kingdom. And by the way, this is really interesting. This is the same religion of our kingdom. This is where American Christianity gets really, really confused because the first thing in Western culture that we long for is this. And so Jesus is saying, hey, this thing you're looking for is security. Blessed are those who have lost it. Because, because, because really security is an illusion. You're not really in control. No, the, what, what we like is we like to have our options. We're, we're a nation and people, and even as Christians, we like to leave our options open, right? That's why you have so many clothes in your closet. Candidly, and I'm not trying to be offensive, but it's the same thing for me. You don't need one-tenth of the clothes that you have, right? So why do you have them? Oh, we like our options. Candidly, you don't need all that food in the pantry. Well, why, don't, why do you have it? But boy, does it make us feel secure. Honestly, even right now, you don't need all that toilet paper. You really don't, right? Let, let's go back 2,000 years. Jesus saying, blessed are those of you are poor. They were like, well, I'm holding my toilet paper. That wasn't an option. They had corn on the cob with the corn off, right? Disgusting. But then you have this, this, he's going, hey, blessed are you that are out of options. Why? Because what we cling to, we're, we don't want to go where God wants us to go. Because we want to stay where God wants us to stay. And where do, why do we want to stay here? Because, boy, does it feel secure. But it's not secure. We just have tricked ourselves into believing more stuff in the coffers is somehow going to help us sleep better at night. And the problem is the more you have, the more you want. Right? Our religion is just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. You need just a little bit more. Right? And then eventually we think we'll be secure. And so what he's saying is, hey, blessed are those of you who have run out of options. 
Blessed are those of you who have come to the conclusion that you can't actually provide your own security. So the first thing he's going to hit at is security. And watch this. Next one, he says this. Blessed are those of you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. So what is he saying here? By the word, that satisfaction means like this. That the satisfaction and laughter are really helpful because it's like this. This overflowing contentment. Right? Like this, nothing can take it away. And so what he's saying here, and what he's hinting at, this one, look at this. Second part of American religion is not just security. Comfort. Right? Think about what most of our goals in life are. It's so broken if we think about it. Your goal, my goal, most people's goal in American, Western world, most of the world. Our goal is to sometime way, way, way out in the future to arrive safely at death. Live as long as we can and die as comfortably as we can. Right, you want to follow our religion? Want to follow it? Each and every day we do whatever we can to avoid pain in whatever ways that we can, right? Because we don't want to deal with pain. And so we think if we can avoid pain and live in a comfortable place, honestly, we even lead our kids this way. Right? To feel pain and we do whatever is possible to alleviate the chance for any kind of pain. And Jesus is going, but blessed are you who are in pain. Right? Blessed are you who feel this because when you feel pain, when you feel pain, instinctively, your antennae goes up and goes, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Pain, in a simple sense, is a, is a gift to our body to tell us that there's something wrong. So if you spend your whole life trying to convince yourself that nothing is wrong, then you'll never look at the person who can solve the problem. Because you're going, no, no, I don't have a problem. There is no problem. I'm just going to spend as much of my life trying to be comfortable, to convince my brain there's nothing wrong. And he's going, blessed are you who have already come to the conclusion that something's wrong. And the way you came to the conclusion that something's wrong is because you feel pain. Pain is telling you that this is not the way it's supposed to be. Right? Every time someone dies and those tears roll down your face, it would make sense that you would grieve. It makes sense that your body and your brain would tell you this. Why? Because they're more than just a sack of chemicals. Every time we grieve, every time we cry, it is our body telling us this is not the way it's supposed to be. And unless you can come to the conclusion that this is not the way it's supposed to be, you're not going to wonder what the way is supposed to be. So he goes, blessed are those who are hungry. Because if you're hungry, then you know something's wrong, and you will hear me, hear me, you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now. Blessed, blessed, because you will recognize there's something wrong. You'll recognize that comfort is an illusion. And you'll realize there's something wrong, and you will, hear me, hear me, hear me, you will laugh. You will laugh. You will exhaust your options, and finally you will laugh when you get into the kingdom. And again, this is not about some distant future. This is about the here and now. And this is what it says next. Blessed are you when people leap for joy. For behold, your reward is, I'm sorry, blessed are you, I'm sorry, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and they revel you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. This is Jesus' favorite language to talk about himself. He's showing himself as the perfect human who overcomes all the plights of this world, right? But here's what he's saying. Here's what he's hitting at. Not only does he talk to people about their security, which is an illusion. Not only talking about their comfort, which is an illusion, but should point us to the fact that we don't have any options. Jesus is the only option. We don't, that there's pain, and that means that we're built for something different, that something's wrong. But what he's going to do next? Identity. He's going to hit at their identity, right? Because we live in this world that thinks if we perform better, we're more valuable. We don't want to do this. We wouldn't say it out, maybe we'd say it out loud, but we, we don't say it out loud most of the time. But we make Facebook posts pictures and build houses and throw parties all to show ourselves how good and valuable we are we are in a constant constant battle to earn our value and so jesus is going here's the thing you think that your value is in your identity what people say about you and think about you that's how you determine that and listen it's written so deeply into us from words that came out at us from our parents and our grandparents and our coaches and our teacher that's something distinctly in us we're trying really hard to please that one person who can't be pleased and jesus is going hey blessed are you who have who have come to the conclusion that you can't make them like you love you esteem you right blessed are you who've come to the conclusion that your job is not to earn your value and perform really well and he goes for if you do that blessed are you who do that because you will have experienced the same experience as the Son of Man. Blessed are you 
who do that because you will come to the conclusion that your identity is not given to you by your mom or dad, your coworkers, your boss, your teachers, your kids, your grandkids, your spouse. So he's going to hit it all three things, this religion of America, this religion of the West. We want to have security, we want to have comfort, and we want to be esteemed. And then he's going to transition, and first he's going to say this. He's going to say, rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophet. So he's going to say something pretty interesting here. He goes, rejoice in that day. And when we read that, we go, okay, there'll be one day in the future. One day in the future where you'll get to heaven and you'll be able to rejoice in that day. That's not what he's saying here. He's actually, in this passage, he's actually taking a shot at people's awareness. What he's saying here is when, when you are aware that you can't earn your own identity, when you're aware that your job is not to perform for other people, when you're aware that you no longer should try to make everyone happy, when you become aware of that, on that day, on that awareness, that day, you will rejoice. And then it says, for your reward in heaven. Again, this, we think about this as we get beamed up, right? But that's not what Jesus is saying here. In fact, it's the same word heaven there that's used in Matthew chapter 3 where we hear this passage that says, repent for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is near. So when he's saying that, he's going, no, 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 this is the day. Like, here's what he's saying. He's saying, you want to hear something crazy? In the middle of all the complications, all the pain and all the sorrow and all the jobs that you're trying to perform, perform, on that day when you finally, finally give that stuff up, that's the day you'll rejoice. When you finally come to the conclusion that you can't earn your value, that's the day that finally you'll take a deep breath and relax. Right? Have you ever missed a, a flight on an airplane? You miss the flight, and then you go and you argue with the attendant and try to convince them, try to convince them. But you know eventually you don't get on the flight. Now think about that next feeling you have. First one's frustration, exasperation. But then there's finally like just relinquishing. You know what I'm talking about? You just go, can't do anything about it now. So then you pick up the book, go walk around the airport. When you come to the conclusion that you've exhausted all options and finally there's nothing else you can do, you would think that you would seethe more, but there just comes, a, for many of us, it just comes as, okay, I guess this is where I am for a while. Huh, I got an hour to read a book now. When's the last time you got that? Right? It's that thing he's going, on that day, when you get that, that will be the day when you finally get this awareness that your value is not in your security and your comfort and your identity. When you finally get that day, that's the day that you will finally rejoice. But the problem is, none of us want to get to that day. We want to avoid all these things. We want to have as much security as possible, as much comfort as possible. We want to be as valuable as possible, right? We don't want to go there because we have found so much comfort in staying here. So watch what Jesus says to those people. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Now this is so important because that word consolation right there is going to come back up when Jesus makes a promise to his disciples. When Jesus tells them he's going to go to heaven, when he's going to go to heaven, he's going to prepare a place for them, they're going to freak out because they're going to lose all their security and comfort and identity because they had found it in Jesus, but now Jesus is leaving. He goes, no, 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 no. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Take a deep breath. Your exhaustion, uh, your, your options haven't been exhausted. I'm still here. And he says, believe me in my father's house. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'll be there with you. And you'll be, and eventually he goes, you'll be glad that I'm going because I'm going to give you another, a comforter that's going to be with you. And that word he uses for comforter there, that, that person that he describes is the Holy Spirit. That's literally the same exact language that Jesus says here. There'll be no consolation. You see, if you spend all your time and energy trying to be your own security, your own comfort, your own identity, you're never going to be comforted by the one who was created to comfort you. You see, as long as you keep telling yourself that you don't need a Savior, you're never going to receive the comfort and consolation that comes with it. So he goes, woe to you who are rich. Not because money's bad, but because you're never going to come to the conclusion that you actually need a comfort from someone outside of yourself. So woe to you who are rich. Why? Because you've already received your security. It's in your pantry. It's in your closet. It's in your basement. It's in your storage. It's in your bank account. And here's what he's saying. This is so messed up. He's going, you're so clinging to these things that will all eventually end up in the landfill. You do not want to go there where the Holy Spirit exists to provide comfort you because you are unwilling to leave here. So he goes, well, to you? Because you've already received your comfort, and it is temporary. Then he continues, he goes, woe to you who are fooled now, right? He's going to say, those of you who have sought your own stuff, and you are so satisfied, for you shall be hungry. 
right? If you're going to bank on the food in your pantry, one day that will run out. Woe to you who laugh now. Those of you who work on yourselves or cling to other people for your entertainment and joy, one day that will run out. For one day you will shout mourn and weep. And then he's going to go to the last one. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. He's going, woe to you. Woe to you. Who think that you have earned your own identity. You can watch this with politicians. You can watch this throughout our world. Right? No, no shots at, well, I'm, I'm going to stay political here. I have lots of opinions. But right now we have a president sitting wherever he is right now. I don't know if he's in his Oval Office. I don't know if he's in a be- his bedroom. But he is in a great deal of pain. He's in a great deal of pain. And I'm convinced part of the reason he is in a great deal of pain is because he has found his value in those who have identified him as either good or bad. And there's a lot of people that have identified him as good and some of them have turned their back on him. And there's a ton of people who have, have identified him as bad. And apolitically, we can at least step back and go, that man is in a ton of pain. Why? Woe to him for he has found his identity in those things, Right? For so their fathers did the false prophets. So you want to pray a prayer for your president right now. Pray that he be comforted. Not by pundits. Not by Twitter. Not by affirmation from people. But pray that he would be comforted by the consolation that comes from the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he has exhausted his options. And in so many ways, it seems so bad, but the reality is this is exactly the moment where he can finally find it. So really where our nation is, where our political leaders are, where they have exhausted their options. It's now and only now that they can go, okay, fine, that didn't work. I can't find my own security. I can't find my own comfort. I can't even create my own identity. And in those moments, he's going, that's the moment you want to be in. Here, here's what's so beautiful for us to really, really, really experience there, right? We have to leave here. And two things are required for us to leave here. Courage. And clarity. Courage and clarity. But here's what's so beautiful. The more clarity you have, the less courage you need. The more clarity you have, the less courage you need. Here's what I mean by that. When we find ourselves in the middle of brokenness and pain, where where that is, it is the crossroads between here and there. Many of you right now find yourselves in a doorway. And we don't like the doorway. We don't like the doorway. We think the doorway is painful. No, no, no. The doorway is not bad or painful. The doorway is the entryway to blessings. But it's also the place where we came from our woes. Right? And so when we end right here, you have a decision to make. You can either go back to where you came from. Or you can go to where God has you. But when you pain and sorrow you're no longer in this place of here you haven't gotten to where there is yet you are right in the middle and you have to make a decision of whether or not you want to stay there go back to there go back to what's accustomed to you or walk into what god has has me so going when you exhaust all options when you're poor when your identity has been ruined you are in the doorway you're in the doorway and you have one of two ways to go back or forward so he goes blessed are those who get to the doorway because many of us have never gotten to the doorway because our life is nice and simple here. But you've never gotten there because your life has been simple here. So you're going, blessed are those who finally come to the doorway. Because if they could just take one more step, blessings available to them. Blessed are those who are hungry. Because they're not here anymore. They're hungry. So they're in the doorway and they can either walk forward, then go back. In fact, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, similar kind of teaching at the end of it, or towards the end of it, and the, more towards the end of it. Uh, he, he makes a statement. Matthew chapter 6, he goes, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. You know what that word anxious means in the Greek? It means torn. It literally means on the fence. It means what I do, the, the, the definition I love using is failing in advance. It's sitting here and failing in the future. Right? It's coming up with a solution in the future that's painful. And he's going, whoa, don't be anxious about anything. In other words, don't be torn. When you find yourself here, when you find yourself here, don't be torn between both sides. Just have the courage to walk forward. And the more clarity you have, the less courage you need. In other words, when life gets really bad over here, you don't mind going there. And so, in the middle of our current climate, 
can all of us just admit that our kingdom is not of this world? Your kingdom is not in the red states or the blue states. Your kingdom isn't in the last president or the future president. Your kingdom isn't in who holds the majority in the house or senate, or whether or not the people on the Supreme Court represent you. Like, at some point, can we go? We can't control any of that. We didn't expect Wednesday. Maybe some of you did. We don't know what next week holds. And there's all sorts of things. Can we just acknowledge that that kingdom is not the kingdom for us? The kingdom we should participate in, the kingdom we should be in, right, is the kingdom that cannot be shaken, the kingdom that cannot end. So we're in the middle of this broken climate in our country, and many of us are grieving it. But I go, no, don't grieve it. And this weirdest sin, celebrate it. Why? Because you have entered the doorway. You've been in the door, you're just one little big step of courage and walking into there, right? I tell you this all the time. Courage, you know, doesn't require a lot of courage, right, to do anything. Think about jumping out of an airplane. How much courage do you need? One-tenth of a second. One-tenth of a second to move your weight from the gra- gravity from the plane to the air. And then it's all too late, Right? The only way that you do that is if you have confidence and clarity in the fact that that parachute, whatever it is, will hold you. But that, once you jump, it's just too late. You can't go back. And so what happens, Jesus is going, blessed are those of you who can't go back. Blessed are those who can't go back, because if you can't go back, guess what that means? You're going to go forward. Woe to you who can go back. Because this is going to be your consolation. This government's going to be your consolation. This food's going to be your consolation. Your resume's going to be your consolation. Woe to you. So this isn't a chastisement. This isn't an offer to go. In order to get where you want to go, you have to leave where you want to stay. And the easiest way to leave where you want to stay is not to want to stay there anymore. Because the reality is this. You get one of two options when you're in the doorway. You can either leave it, or you can lose it. Because you're not taking it with you those things that you're clinging to, you can either leave it or you can eventually lose it, right? And so we view our family. It's not that I'm telling you to leave your family. What I'm telling you is could you love your family a little bit less than you currently do to love Jesus a little bit more? Can you love them just enough to make them second, not first? Could you love your job just enough to make Jesus priority? Could you love your house just a little bit less so you can make Jesus in the kingdom? Priority? I told you, he says, don't be anxious about anything, right? Don't be torn. Then he finishes up to say this. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then he says something so profound. He goes, and all these things, all these things, your comfort, your security, your identity, all these things will be added unto you. Because the one who can actually control it, the one who can actually bring blessings, is the one that you put in your trust in when you seek first the kingdom of God. So clarity, when we have clarity that we should seek first the kingdom of God, then all of a sudden what it does is it makes that moment of courage a lot simpler. The more clarity you have, the less courage you need. So he says, seek first. And there's just this picture, and the band's going to come up. And I'm about why is this so hard? Why is it so hard to leave here and go there? Like, why is it so hard? Why is it hard to trust God with our money? Why is it hard to trust God with our family? Why is it hard to trust God with our job? Because we've never been there. All we know is here, and we just want to control here. And so I'm convinced the reason we don't go there is because you really don't trust that God is better. His kingdom is better than where you are. You want to stay. And there's just an old picture that I've just always been drawn to. And it's kind of a silly picture, a little bit weird. And I want to guard myself from it a little bit in terms of the prosperity gospel of it. But there's this picture. I'll just show it to you. I don't know if you can see it there. But the picture is this. It's of it's of this little girl clinging to this little bitty teddy bear. And God is going, hey, 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 trust me, trust me. Come on, come on, come on through the doorway. Come on through the doorway. And she's just standing right there. And she's holding this little teddy bear so by but I love it I love my identity I love my security I love my pantry I love my bank account and he's going no 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 come on over here come on over here and you see that you can't see the whole thing but if you see the picture God right on the other side has this this greater teddy bear this greater life for us and all we have to do is just relinquish where we are so for those of you in pain maybe this is an easy day to go yep I want to walk forward those of you in sorrow is going oh, I don't want to go back to that walk forward and those of you who learned that you can't put your hope in politics just walk forward the woes are for us who actually like where we are. So may we be broken for the things that we cling to that are not God. May we be challenged that your security doesn't come from your performance or your bank account. And I'm not telling you to empty it. I'm just telling you to love it less and love Jesus more. Seek first his kingdom. But that only, only happens if we can convince ourselves that God is a good father who only gives good gifts. So the reason we don't walk forward is because we are suspicious 
of whether God's capable or loving. And so what I want to have happen now is I want us to sing this song that God being this perfect, gracious Father to convince ourselves that there is better than here. Like I told you, this is week one. And then next week, what we're going to get to see is we're going to see what, that perform- what happens when we walk into the kingdom, what our lives would look like. So for week one, could you consider that God is a good Father and worth walking out of the doorway, leaving here, and going there. Would you stand with me as we sing?
Amen, amen. That's our prayer this week, uh, that we would continue to slow down enough to see how good of a Father we have. And uh, may we not only sing that today, but every day this week. I want to send you guys off with a benediction real quick for those at home in the parking lot, everyone here. But before I do so, I want to remind you, the big yellow mug's open. Come hang out with us. Come join us. Come see some good community and enjoy some good coffee. Um, But the benediction I'd like to leave you all with is this, from Romans 8, uh, verses 38 to 39. For I am sure, I am confident, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor power nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this week, may we embrace that love and may we share that with our neighbor. Thanks so much for being here this week. We will see you guys next week. Take care.